to the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. My name is Brendan Lee, and on this podcast, I speak with researchers, teachers, and experts about what evidence-informed practice is and the nuances involved with actually implementing effective and sustainable school-based education. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the land that we are all on today. I am on the beautiful land of the Darug and Gundungurra people in the Long Blue Mountains of New South Wales, Australia. I would like to pay respect to the elders both past, present and emerging who are the traditional custodians of this country. As we learn together today, I would like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. This land always was and always will be the land of the First Nations people. In today's episode, I speak with Dr Ray Boyd, the Foundation Principal of Dayton Primary School. I first came across Ray on social media a few years ago and then had the pleasure of seeing him present at the Science of Teaching and Learning Conference in Sydney. If you ever have the opportunity to see Ray in person, I highly recommend it, as it is a thoroughly informative and enjoyable experience. Once I heard him speak, I knew that I'd have to get him on the podcast one day. Throughout the interview, he shares his journey into educational leadership and the pedagogic shift he led at West Beach Borough Primary School. He reflects on the mistakes made and lessons learned during his time there and discusses the surprises and challenges of starting a new school. Dr. Boyd also explains the vision and mission of Dayton Primary School and how he communicates it to the community. So, without further ado, here is Dr. Ray Boyd. Really excited to be speaking with today's guest, Dr. Ray Boyd. Ray is the 2022 Foundation Principal of Dayton Primary School. He has over 20 years' experience as a leader in education. In 2014, Ray was named WA Primary Principal of the Year and even represented Australia in the marathon. Ray, are you able to tell us a bit about your journey into the position that you're in today? And, you know, can't, can't wait to hear about this. Yeah, welcome, Brendan. Thanks for the call up. Look, it's, I started my gig as a phys ed specialist at Balcata Primary School as a PSP school, which is essentially what they would now deem a hard to staff school at the time. A lot of Italians, Greeks, very ESL. And as well as doing the phys ed, I was doing a support role for literacy and numeracy. I did that for the first year. That was sort of fixed term department placed you there. So the, obviously the rules change a bit since 1988 when I got my first gig as a teacher. And then I got transferred up to Darren District High School. I was up there for a couple of years, as a, again, as a phys ed, but also a classroom teacher. So I had five sixes and four fives at one point and running phys ed for the whole school. And then accumulated enough transfer points to put into the transfer pool and was brought back to Illawarra Primary School, where I took on a, a, a teaching role. I was actually coming back as the phys ed, but the principal at the time, George Watson, said, look, we've got a phys ed, are you happy to go in the classroom? And I said, I'd love to go back in the classroom because I'm not enjoying my own sport. I teach phys ed all day and then I go home and do sport. It's, it's a bit like mechanics have the crappiest cars and landscapers tend to have, in a general rule, the crappiest gardens because they do it all day. And the last thing you want to do is come back and do it at your own place or on your own vehicle. Uh, yeah. So he said, yeah, that, that's so beauty in the classroom. I went from Ellenbrook to, Illa, to sorry, Illawarra to Edney Primary School. When the numbers dropped, I put my hand up to say, look, I'll be a redeployee and, and get maybe closer to home. So I got transferred over to Edney. And then at Edney, I took on a, I was there for a few years. In about 1996, I applied for a, a semester's gig at Darlington as a deputy and got a taste for leadership and thought, oh, this is not too bad. But bearing in mind that role now, what I know now, was very much managerial more so than leadership. Went back to Edney, 
got picked up by Dr. Neil McNeil out of Ellenbrook as a deputy principal, and I have never worked so hard. Up until that point, I'd never worked so hard as a, as a young deputy. And he, Neil said to me, you give me four years and I'll help you move up the food chain. So I said, no worries. And true to his word, Midland came up, Midland Primary School. I was there for, I went in there in the second semester of 2003, essentially to shut it down. It was a very small school, which isn't something any principal wants to do, especially not in their first gig. And then I won, I was there for the rest of the year. I won Clayton View Primary School Level 4 for a year. It was uh, on long service and got a phone call from the director who said, look, we need someone at West Beachborough. Would you take that on? as long as you can find someone to cover Clayton View. So that was two phone calls away. And then I ended up at West Beach Bar for 16 years and then here. So it's just mm. a natural progression. But started off as a classroom teacher, like anyone does in Australia, it's more of an apprenticeship process rather than the U- US where you need any formal credentials or well, not so much the UK now because they've moved away from that stuff. But yeah, yeah. yeah. apprenticeship model, Brendan. And it, yeah. And did you kind of fall into that that? phys ed sort of role because of your background as a runner? Yeah, sort of. It's it's interesting, you know, because I wanted to be an architectural, I wanted to be an architect initially. I wanted, And my dad's an architectural draftsman. And he, and one day he pulled me aside and he said, mate, you, you do what you want to do. You don't have to do what I want to do. I said, oh, cool. I'll, I'll do some phys ed or something. I'll get into that. Uh, and then yeah. teaching came up. I thought, okay, I'll have a crack at teaching. So I applied to get into teaching and the, the phys ed, focused on phys ed, as you said, because it's a natural sort of thing to do. I was did a phys ed major within my training and then came out as a as a teacher with a major in phys ed and just sort of went that way. But you know, it was it was interesting. As a phys ed, I think you learn and if you look at if you actually look at the system, it's probably worth doing a doctorate on actually. If you looked at the system, there's a lot of people in in the positions up who are, have come from a phys ed background. I think that's because of the organisation that's involved around carnivals and all that sort of all that sort of stuff that goes on in schools, I think. Mm. Well, yeah, look, I'm an ex-PE teacher. I started my career there. and Yeah, and I, I think because a lot of people come from that sporting side as well where, you know, it's very generally people are quite motivated and driven in what they're doing and a lot of communication will come into that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's probably a bit of a correlation, I'd say. I, I, I agree very with you. Very much so. Um, and there's a lot of, there's yeah. like you, you touched on it there, sort of motivation and goal setting. You do that a lot in sport, whether it's a team, whether it's a team or individual, my stuff was individual, but you're still mm. setting goals and putting plans and structures in place. So it, it's almost a natural switch over. I was talking to Rachel Stewart about a similar thing and that transition from sport to leadership. They just It just yeah. slides in so well. It, uh, it does, I mean, yeah. even an individual sport still a, a team sport because you've got a group of people around you to support you doing what you do. Yeah, and I, and I think part of it as well is that you have this understanding where – you can't rely on other people to do everything. You know, you at some stage, you've got to put your hand up and say, I'm doing yeah. this. You know, you can either come alongside me or, you know, this is the direction I believe we, we've got to go. But yeah, like when, you, when you've always got that kind of goal of winning, it, it kind of gives you that extra level of motivation as well. And, and if you're able to transfer that kind of mindset into education in one way yeah. or another, it seems to help. It does. Yeah. Uh, there is a, I think there's a bit of a trap there. It's something that I've had to learn. Not everyone mm. has the same mindset. So that's where mm. you got to, I mean, as an athlete, everyone, the goal was to get me or whoever to, to this position. But in, yeah. <laughs> in education, that's often not because everyone's got their own agendas. It's, it's much more complex. Like Dr. Yeah. McNeil always told me, you've got to let some things go, not let go yeah. 
personally, but let other people do it. You can't do everything. And I sort of mm. get what he says. He says, now I often say to Rachel too, you've got to let that go. I say, yeah, but they, it won't get done. I, I know, but we still <laughs> have to let it go. Otherwise, yeah. there's not enough hours in a day. Yeah, 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 very true. I think it, it probably comes back to a bit of that, you know, perfectionists in in you know the way that athletes can operate yeah. is you know you, you're very much along the lines of you've got your routine this is how things need to happen and and you want it to happen to a certain standard and if you if you're trying to push that in schools where i think well generally educators have the same sort of goal of, of wanting you know st- our students to learn and, and look after their well-being our actual kind of the human resource side of it, we're, we're getting pulled in all sorts yeah. of directions. And so it's not not as simple as, all right, we're just going to do this and then this will happen. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, OCD comes to mind straight away when I look at, if you look at any any sports person at a high level, there's a level of OCD-ness in them. And if yeah. you go into any gun teacher's classroom, the same thing. There's, there's a level yeah. of structure and routine that's like, oh, my God, you've got your papers this way and that. So... You've got a principal who's OCD with his structures. <laughs> in my case, I've got my associate principal, Rachel, who's definitely OCD in her structure. <laughs> and then we're trying to work with teachers who've got their own levels of OCD. And so it just sometimes it just does not match. You've got to find that ground, like how can we sort of get along and still achieve this goal? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an interesting space. It is, yeah, yeah. So – you kind of touched on it a bit before, but like when when did you actually decide that you wanted to move into a school leadership position? Yeah, that's actually it's a. There's two things to that. The the first one is, again, I come back to my athletics. You know, I run at a club level, state levels, the next level. I want to get to that national level and then international. So there's a there's a there's a hierarchy there. The same in teaching. Mm-hmm. I saw teaching as. And I don't mean to denigrate in any way, shape or form teachers when I say this. They're the bottom rung, all right? We know from research and everything that they're the most important factor in student achievement. But in terms of a hierarchy, I saw that as, okay, the next level up's the deputy. So I need to get to that. I, I wanted to keep moving up. I mean, at one point, I wanted to be the director general. It's like that's that's the top of the food chain in terms of educational leadership and public schooling. So yep. that's where I want to be. And to, to some extent, and Lisa won't mind me saying this, that's still that's still a goal. Maybe it's sort of put back, but that's the ultimate. But stepping up, the other thing too, the other one that sat in there is I, I, I've worked with multiple of leaders and I've in, I've interacted with many leaders. And sometimes I see things and I'm like, oh, there's no way I'd do that. It's just, that's just crazy. Or your boss gives you your direction and you go, okay, Right. So there were things that I wanted to change and the only way you could do that is by being in the leadership position at school. So that was the other thing that sat behind it. I want to lead so that if anything goes wrong, ultimately it's my fault. It's not the fault of anyone else. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point there. And I do find it interesting people's journeys and, and I guess the, the reasons behind they make the moves that they do. And sometimes you, you talk to people and, and it's almost like they they fell into leadership yeah. where they were just in the right place at the right yeah. time and then someone kind of gave them a little nudge and then other times you speak to people and, and they're like really driven like this, you know, I wanted to get to that position yeah. because it's kind of where I was meant to be and where I could make the biggest impact. Yeah, and that, look, that's so true. I, I've In my case, it was always it was there and I had people who gave me assistance along the way, but I've worked with people where I've, I've said to them, 
do you want to have a, I reckon you'd make a great deputy or do you want to step in and off they go from there so yeah there's, there's definitely two sides to it and then there's there's some who have had a crack you give them a nod and they just they just don't like it we've got a couple of staff who they just want to be in the classroom that's that's their passion and I get that too so it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that said too, Brennan, I've stepped into some roles which I thought they'd be awesome and I hated it, yeah. absolutely hated it. Not the title, but the position wasn't what it, I've envisaged it to be and you know what? I actually have more impact as a principal. Yeah, and, and you find that with a lot, a lot of people where sometimes it's just not the right place for them or the right role, yeah. as you're saying, you know, and unfortunately, like you, you see a lot of teachers leaving the profession because of yeah. that. They're just not at that, that school that fits them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's unfortunate when we've got this teacher shortage that we, we're losing people because yeah. of that. And actually, it's funny you say that. That's one of the things we stress with our staff here is if you want to go, then let us know and we will we will support you. We won't blackwall you. We will give you assistance to, to try and do wherever you want to be because at the end of the day, if it's not your passion, if this school and what we're doing doesn't float your boat, then it's not good for your health. And it's not good for the mm. cultural health of the school. So it's it's a really interesting space. And I, I do feel for teachers who who go, you know what, this is this isn't my fit, but it's really hard to get mm. out of those places when it's not their fit. We'll circle back around yeah. to what you're talking about there, but I think what's really important when it comes to that stuff that you're talking about is that you're being um, really clear with the vision that you've got for the school and, and that way you are attracting like-minded people particularly when you are starting a, a new school like, like you've had the opportunity to do. But yeah, look, let's let's look at that a bit later on. First, I just want to look at your time at West Beach Borough, um, where you were there for over 15 years. And I know that you, you were able to kind of lead a pretty significant change during that time period. So can you just tell us a bit about that pedagogic shift that you did um, make and yeah, what exactly it entailed? Yeah, that was a that was a really interesting journey. That West Beach Borough, as I said earlier, I was at Clayton, Clayton View, and I was brought into West or asked to do West Beach Borough because there'd been a, a number of principals had been through the role, and the pre the one before me was only in there for a very short time and then took up a position as a, a director sort of role out in the country. So the school had gone into very much a, a silo to where the teachers were literally working by themselves because that was their survival mode. So I always said, look, part of the thing you need to do in there is, is develop some policy and, and get some structures and routines, which was very interesting because when I hit the deck, when I landed in the school, all the policies and, and routines and structures were actually there, but people had stopped being not so much told about them, but it hadn't been reinforced and, and there was no follow-up in regard to it, no accountability to it. So we brought, yeah. that was actually easy. Getting that stuff back there was easy. But then when she started to have a deeper look at the school, it was like, okay, we've got kids in here who have been in pre-primary in intervention. And when they leave the school, back then we had year sevens, when they leave the school in year seven, they're still in intervention. So there's some things here we're doing that just, they're not right. We've got a kid in maths who's in intervention, but his only problem is he's got problem with spatial awareness. So why is he in intervention? He's missing out on all the number work. We've got kids mm. who their, their sentence level, their writing's actually really good, but they can't spell. And you can see that in their writing, but you know, the, the writing actually makes sense. So there was a few dramas there. So it's like, well, what you guys are doing is, is not, it's wrong. And it's that the hard bit about that conversation is it's not that you're working, not working hard. It's not that you're not trying. It's just when you're doing the wrong stuff. 
the hard bit there though, Brendan, was I didn't know what the answer was. So I'm sort of coming in and dropping the dead cat on the table and literally walking out of the room. It's like, there's the problem, <laughs> off we go. So I knew there was something there was something that had to be done. And I happened to bump into, well, I had a good colleague of mine, Greg Sullivan, who was at Dianella Heights Primary School at the time. And he said, there's this guy coming over called John Fleming. Yeah, all right. He says, we should go and see him. So, yep, yeah, we'll do that. He's at Balladura Primary School. He's running a big session. Sounds good. And then being a typical principal, I left it to the last minute to enrol. It's like, sorry, places are full. So Greg gets in and he rings me the next day and goes, mate, you should have been there. This is the link that we're looking for. This is what he's saying actually makes sense. So I still hadn't met John, but I hooked up with Greg and, and the principal at the time, Dave Wanstall at, at Balladura. And we got our leadership crew and we flew over to Halibri and had a look at what they were doing and met with their leadership teams and then established a bit of a relationship with John. And then at the same time, I was doing some work with a lady called Lorraine Hammond around reading. So all these things sort of came together and it made sense what they were saying. Uh, So we we did a few tweaks and the hardest bit was actually getting people to change uh, because, again, they've been doing this for 100 years and if that's what you're used to, then why mm. change it? It's it's working. The kids are getting results, but it's not brilliant. Yeah. What what would you say were the the biggest differences between you know what John Fleming was kind of talking about in Lorraine Hammond and what you were doing yeah. at that, that current well, in time? In Lorraine's case, it was it was the teaching. It was teaching well phonics basically spelling, so that we could give the kids the skills to actually read. So that was that was the missing link down there. We weren't doing any of that precursor stuff, and we were in a high ESL, it was a low SEI area. So the kids yeah. were coming in without those prerequisite skills. So they're already behind. I mean, you look at the research around vocab. Our our more affluent kids were coming from families where there's lots of rich conversation, and their language was so yeah. much ahead. So these kids were we're chasing the whole way through. And then what we also know or what some of the research has indicated is as the kids move up, that gap closes because the kids don't have the kids that are ahead actually don't have the knowledge to be able to make those connections. So we did a lot of work around that with with Lorraine. So the reading was big with Lorraine and then she introduced us to Louisa Motes through Lorraine. We touched base with Hollingsworth. John came over and then we had connections later on many years later with Joe Yabara came through and we did some more stuff with him. But with John, the biggest one was he, at that time he was calling it a warm-up. We changed the name to Daily Review. It was the Daily Reviews and that idea of cognitive load, which at that time I had never heard of, didn't even know what cognitive yeah. load theory was. What, what year are we looking uh, at here? What are we looking at? Period? 2004, 2005, 2006, about 2009. Yeah. So at 2009 okay, yeah. when we've hit John Fleming, and so I've been in the school since 2006, and then I've had all that, if I, you think my teaching career started in 1988, in 2009, or 2010 actually, I start hearing this term cognitive load theory. That's like, well, yeah. what have I done? How much damage have I done? And what have the kids prior to that time missed out on? So that was the big one, doing those daily reviews, going over those facts. And that, that was probably the game changer at West Beach Borough, Brendan, was the daily reviews. Because what teachers notice straight away, and I know there's huge debate, and I don't care, there's huge debate about, oh, it's rote learning. But the kids just, they knew 4-4s was 16. They didn't have to waste time thinking about it. They just knew that's what it was. So the teachers could start doing more complex mathematics in terms of literacy and comprehension. Kids had this basic understanding of facts. 
that they could just yeah. put straight into, oh, I get it. And we know from yeah. comprehension, when you look at Ed Hirsch's work, comprehension is all about knowledge. Now, yeah. as an adult of, what am I, 57 years of age, you can ask me any question on any topic and I would potentially have enough information to be able to fudge my way through a conversation and, and, <laughs> and sort of this, you go, well, he sort of knows what he's talking about. You, you ask a year three, five, six or seven who's got no experiences in the same way that I have and they're going to go, just look at you. I've got no idea. Like, how do we fix a carburetor? What's a carburetor? Now, again, I don't know much about engines. I know what a carburetor is and I could probably fudge my way through the conversation and turn it enough so the other person actually told me how to fix it without it appearing like I didn't know what we're talking about. Yeah. So that 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 sort of fit in. So they were the two big keys around there. And then yeah. what's the name? Gail Higgins, my deputy principal at the time, came across a they're they're much a flavour now. They're called playbooks, but she found this handbook at I think it was a place called Tramby. And we pulled it down and went, you know what, this is really, really good stuff. So we used that as a framework and developed our West Beach Borough teaching book, teaching hand teaching and learning handbook and frame this is everything we do this is what we stand and then we structured professional learning around what we were doing so we became very isolated we moved away from other schools apart from Dinella Heights and Balladura where we worked as a three we moved away from yeah. other schools and became very isolated um, in a good way isolated in the sense that you know what what's the point of going and doing moderation with another four schools when we haven't even got moderation right in our own school it just complicated mm. things. So that, they were probably the biggest factors, the Lorraine stuff around reading and language, and then John's stuff pretty much, well, it was around reading and, and the stuff he got from Ken Rowe, but he sort of helped us put it all together in where the structures fitted in, and then we went from there. Yeah, awesome. What are what are some of the mistakes that you made at West Beach Borough, you know, particularly during this time when, when there was a lot of change happening? You know, what are some of the mistakes that you learned from and, and you didn't want to repeat again at yeah, Dayton? Yeah, there's so many mistakes. And, you know, mistakes is probably your best learning ground. If you, if you have success, then you never learn, you never actually get better because you just, whereas if you make mistakes, you know the things that don't work and you get that survivorship bias coming in. But probably one of the biggest ones was around coaching. We did We started that very late. There was also, and I love I love Simon Sinek. I didn't discover Simon Sinek until, I don't know, 214, 215, 216, somewhere around there, and that notion yeah. of why. I sort of sold the why of what we were doing, but not very well. I didn't articulate it very clearly. I did that a lot better with setting up Dayton. So right from the word go, and you said that much earlier on in our conversation, this is what Dayton stands for. This is what it will look like. If you're not interested, don't come. And what happened? What tends to what tended to happen is at West Beachboro, we had we had those people, we called them cultural terrorists. They were on board, but they weren't really on board. And there was always that undercurrent. You know, the ocean looks really smooth up top, but don't go into it because you get sucked under. So we were always juggling these these different cultures in the school, and that was the hardest bit. And I had I had a, a young staff. We also had that issue of, and again, I didn't handle it well. An experienced teacher doesn't necessarily mean that they're good. All experience mm. means is you've got experience in something. Now, I'm not saying all experienced teachers aren't good, all right, but what I'm saying is some of these younger teachers were better in terms of coming in and, and doing what we needed them to do and what we could because they had a better understanding of it. 
They didn't have, however, the skills of classroom management and structures that the more experienced teachers had. And in some cases, they weren't great with the relationship. So I don't think I used my experienced teachers well enough to support the young teachers. And I don't think at the time I had the skill to enable the young teachers to pass their their skill set and knowledge onto the experienced teachers. I mean, that said, sometimes the experienced teachers weren't interested in hearing what they had to say. So I had to practice the dark arts of leadership in that space sometimes. So spelling mastery was a classic example. I had that was being done by our education assistants. And what happened was when these kids who are in intervention for spelling went back into the classroom, they were actually operating at a higher level than the kids that were in the classroom. So what does a good teacher do? They go, can I start using that program? Of course you can. They used the program, tended to be my younger ones. They used the program, the class lifts the older teachers going why aren't we getting those results okay you got to mandate this so i started to use if if brendan lee was doing a really good thing that's having success i started to talk about what brendan was doing i protected brendan from the parents because bob smith who's not quite on board yet and the kids i just let the parents go through to him go and have a chat with bob ask him what he's doing this is what we're supposed to be doing so go and see if bob's doing that so there's a bit of the dark arts of leadership in there and it, it sort of gets a bit murky and that I want to avoid that at Dayton where I have to use that sort of stuff because it's a bit underhanded yeah. and it's a really quick way to to undercut trust yeah yeah that's no, an interesting kind of reflection there as well and yeah it can be so hard to kind of like when you're in the thick of it it can be so hard to know what to do in certain situations unless you've got that really strong understanding of like firstly yeah what your vision is and secondly like you know we're in the field of education it's just so important to know how learning happens so that when you are kind of at that point where you've got to decide all right should I go with this program or this program you can start to make better decisions and yeah I've just found it's just makes such a difference when you when you have that strong understanding and background. It is and look Again, this is a conversation recently had with Dr. McNeil. He said, oh, teachers, we need to get teachers to read more. It's like, Neil, teachers are so busy structuring Mm. lessons, marking. They haven't got time to sit down and read Peter DeWitt's latest book or Hattie's book on it. They just, they don't have time. We need to condense it. And so we work a lot around in, again, with Rachel and I in this school. And it's something we did. That's something I actually think I did well at West Beachborough. As okay, I progressed, yeah. so probably from about 2.15 onwards, started to get better at disseminating information about, look, this is why we're doing this. You do this, this is what happens. This is what happened in this school. This is what happened in this school. And when someone goes, yeah, but we're, yeah, I know we're different, but it's still the same principle. So we'll have to tweak it a bit, but it, the principle actually works. And I'm, I've, a presentation I've done a few times, I talk about the principle of a wheel, like, a tractor wheel is different to a motorcycle wheel, and that's very different to a wheel on a dragster. But the principle of the wheel remains the same. So we just have to mm-hmm. find the, the right wheel within the principle to make it work. So yeah. that disseminating of information is something we're doing, we're working really hard on here. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a strength of the school. Rachel's very good at it. We put something out, right, so we're going to release this. What do we need to put around that to help teachers develop their understandings? And we were, we're very strategic in what we do in that because we need to give staff a chance to, to take it on board, to adapt it, and then to have conversations or debriefs to go, okay, so what's going wrong and why do you think it's going wrong? Is it because you don't have the knowledge? Is it because we haven't got the resources? Have we not got the support structures in place? So there's all these things that 
come into this cultural learning ecosystem that we've created at Dayton that we've got to keep playing with. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, really interesting. So you're talking about Dayton now. What are, what have been some of the biggest surprises with starting a new school? You know, you're 12 months in now. What are what are some of the things that surprised you? The actual, the pace at which the kids have improved. So I don't know if you. I put some. I think I put it on LinkedIn. I definitely put it on Twitter. The comparative data between our we did Pat. So we we use triangulation of data, which any most people do. So yep. we obviously NAT plan is no good to you because you get it back in August. But we, we did Pat at the start of the year. So, right, let's let's find out where all these kids are because they've come from different schools, so it's very hard to go. And this comes back to what I was saying about that moderation across schools. We don't know yeah. how the other school, what a C, we know what a C is supposed to be, but what does a C look like? So we used Pat data. We sat every kid from Pat from pre-primary right through to year six. And then we, we hit them again with it in November. And the difference was absolutely – I hadn't seen growth with kids, even at West Beachborough, I hadn't seen growth. Yeah. And I think I think that's because at West Beachborough we were having to go through a change process, whereas mm. Dayton, yes, there's change in terms of the teachers coming on board and learning our processes, but there's nothing to change. Right from the word go, this is how we will do things. So we had coaching in place. We had – conversations in place one-on-one with teachers to go where do you need support what are your weaknesses where can we help you how do you think we're doing as a leadership team and supporting you whereas West Beachborough was very much a change slowly move through win people over people came on board knowing what they were getting here so the growth the growth was huge that's that surprised me the way the staff have gelled and come together I've got I've got young kids young Cooper Thomas probably one of my younger teachers maybe Melissa Mason, my music specialist, through to Kerry Wright in my junior grade. She, oh, no, Lucinda. I don't know if it's Kerry or Lucinda. Lucinda's in my kindy. To very very elderly teachers. I mean that in a nice way, Lucinda, if you're listening. But we've got that big spread there, and they've come together so well as a staff. It's it's really, really good to see. They, it's such a great team. It's actually yeah. a team. Yeah, yeah. And, and were you able to be strategic with, kind of putting your team together yes. because you know i mentioned before we've got this teacher shortage was it a matter of what you just had to take whatever you could no. get or were you able to really pick and choose as to what sort of teachers and and create you know fill fill the right sort of gaps that you needed to fill? that's an awesome question i know we've got a teacher shortage and again rachel and i had conversations we're looking for an auslan teacher at the moment uh, and i've said to her look i'm not we're not putting staff in just because we need to get a person in there because it just you know, it just falls away. If you're building a house out of bricks and then you chuck a matchstick in there, you're going to have problems later on. The wall's going to fall down. So we were yeah. very – yes, we still had to navigate as an independent public school. You have to navigate redeployees. The teacher shortage yeah. to some extent worked in our favour because there's not a lot of redeployees at the moment um, and we were very strategic in what we are trying to do. We used a chap called Joel Birch um, and we used Lego. So we, we did the traditional give a shit – give us your applications, and we were very brutal. And if you had not written, if an applicant hadn't written to our school's context, and I don't mean Brendan Lee sitting down and saying, I do this, 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 and this, that's great. And we probably missed some good teachers because there were ones that did that. What I wanted to know was, so how is what Brendan Lee telling me, how are you going to make that fit with us, knowing what you know? And we gave a lot of information to people who applied for the school. So if they'd made even half an effort at trying to do that, and then they were semi-decent on paper, we got them in. 
and we got everyone in together and Joel ran a Lego session for us. So they worked in groups. It was basically an interview. They didn't know they were being interviewed. They worked in groups. They talked about the growth of the school, what they could bring to the school. They did little models and spoke to each other. Meanwhile, Rachel and I and um, Catherine are walking around seeing how people interact. We could see which people were leaders in terms of they'll step in if there's no one else stepping up, but they won't bulldoze over people. So I think through that process, it worked really well and we, we got a really good mix. The hard bit now, though, Brennan, is keeping that going. So when you pull in, when you need one teacher, how do you run that process again? So we're, we're battling and struggling with, with that. Um, we're actually toying mm. with the idea of from, from the next process, bringing some staff into it. So staff have a say and look, this person, so, because they've got to work with the staff more than they've got to work with us. So, yep. you know, Brendan Lee gets on great with me, but rubs shoulders, butts heads with every other staff member in the school. So... <laughs> Yeah. Maybe the staff need to be involved in it as we move along. So they actually go, yeah, you know what, this person would be a good fit, blah, blah. So we get more than myself and my associate principal and um, Sarah's comments on this is a good fit for the school. Yeah, yeah. I find, you know, staffing uh, just so interesting at, at the moment because I'll just say you are able to kind of get a, a number of applicants for a position. The way that people have to you know, structure their, their application can be kind of quite specific yeah. and it's not necessarily going to showcase their skills in the best way possible as well. You know, sometimes you know, people might have that capacity to be operating a lot higher than they currently yeah. are, but just because of the school and the position that they're currently in, they haven't been able to showcase those yeah. skills. And, and so, you know, whether or not you're missing out on, on you know, those sorts of people because of that and the, the, the context that they're, they're currently in, and you know, and even around like sometimes people have failed, but they've only had these failures because of the context that they're mm-hmm. in. You know, whether that's because of a lack of support from their school, you know, or the lack of experience, and and yet that's what we're judging people yeah. on. And and so I don't know, I don't know the the quick fix or the solution to this, but yeah, I, I do just find you know this whole process yeah, really. Oh, you could have a whole conversation around it forever and a day, Brennan, because it is it is fascinating. Yeah. And I don't think any process, however you do it, is is a good one. There's always yeah. holes in it. I, ideally, yeah. we tried to get into to see teachers teach because you know if yeah. I, if if you're a principal and a teacher has a clash with you, that's fine. But what are they like yeah. in the classroom? That's that's the important yeah. bit. And as you said, you hit the nail on the head. They may be they don't haven't been given that support or those structures. It's just it's a hard environment to work in. So we at mm. a very broad minimum, and it's a it's a big one because again I see on LinkedIn, I probably more so on Facebook when I'm looking through the relief teachers things. They say I've written an application, but they're just generic applications. Yes, and exactly. The the their counter or people applicants counter arguments. Oh yeah, but we've got to put the time in to write it. Yeah, well I've got to read three hundred applications. So I'm looking <laughs> for the person who's taken an effort to go at Dayton Primary School. These skills would support you. So oh this guy's done a bit of homework. On, oh, let's have a look at him because they've obviously got a genuine interest. And when you get applications, seriously, dear Bob, it's like well my name's Ray, so they've mucked that up. And then it's, I, I look forward to coming to Nookumbuck and Primary School. So, oh, for primary, it's, a, it's, a, it's a generic. How hard is it to do find Nookumbuck Primary School, change, Dayton? At least go to that level. So, but it is. It's, it's yeah. so hard. I mean, we see that, I guess, the, at a higher level too, the regions and, and higher above have trouble selecting principals and deputies because what might be good for one context, they don't work in another context. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I've traditionally yeah. worked in low SEI schools. I, I get those. I don't know how I would function in what we call a leafy green because that's a different mm. ball game altogether. Mm. No, really good points there. Um, I like the one around how really the best way to judge a teacher is to see them in action yeah. in the classroom. And but yeah, like our, our system doesn't really set it up for that, does it? Well, we had a. I just pause for a sec. We had a. We ran a education assistant, a special needs assistant process. All right, and we had three applicants that we thought, let's have a look at these people, and we we interviewed them, but we took them for a walk around the school. The applicant yeah. who got the job was the one, because they're all pretty equal, was the one when we went into rooms, she immediately went down to the kids and started talking to them. And she she was it's like, this is the one we want. This is the first applicant that's come through and actually gone up and approached and spoken to kids. So yeah. she's obviously got yeah. that. There's something in her that makes her make that connection. She's trying to establish relationships already. And we had a similar mm-hmm. one. Rachel spoke of a similar one when she was the, the deputy when I was out of the school at West Beachborough and Gal was heading it. They had a prince. They had a teacher come through, and he they come in and ran a demo lesson. And this guy was the only one who tried to make connections and find out some information about the kids in the room before he'd begun the process. So that's like mm. okay, there's a green light there already. This this guy wants to be able to make connections with the kids, and the way he's going to do that is he needs some knowledge of them. The only only person yeah. that asked about it. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right, so you know, you spoke before about how starting at Dayton, you started having a much clearer idea of what your vision and, and mission was. So what exactly is that and how have you gone about communicating that to your community, including you know, both internally and externally? So the vision was the hardest one because, again, that, that sort of becomes your guiding light. And the vision was also a hard one because, yes, it's my vision for the school, but at some point I'm going to have to have a conversation with the staff to go, do you get this? Is everyone happy with this and what it stands for? So throughout through the community prospectus that I put out when we were setting up the school, the vision was quite simple. It was basically to create a sense of belonging that promoted success, engagement and well-being for all. So it was fairly broad, all right? That was yeah. the vision. Interestingly, that's after going to the staff, that's still the vision, all right? So yeah. we promoted that out through our prospectus. We spoke to that when we did our staffing, our staffing sessions for people who wanted to come. And we used that and we said anything we do in the school has to promote that vision or support that vision. So whatever we bring into the school, the very first question we ask ourselves is does this support the attainment of that vision? If the answer is no, then it doesn't see the light of day in the school. And a lot of that comes from, coincidentally, I went and sat in on James Nottingham's work and he talks about schools tend to work up so we bring in this and we bring in this rather than work down. So sometimes you're bringing stuff up and it, it works in polar opposites to what the school's vision or mission statement is or the aim in the organisation. So I went, yeah. you know what, he makes sense. That's beautiful. That's just basically reiterated what we do. So that's our vision. So anything that we do, promoting success. Now, success, again, is very broad, but Brendan's success is very different to Rachel's success, but they're both being successful, all right? So in, within build, promoting success, we're looking at putting support structures in for kids and they get into that discussion about equity and equality. When we talk about engagement, engagement's looking at radio. So in the classrooms, are the kids engaged? Does this program engage the kids? Is what the teacher's doing engaged? So TAPL becomes really important across all our, t- every subject level, not just classrooms, but in, in the specialists. TAPL overarches everything. 
in terms of what you do within that classroom. And then well-being, if you've got happy kids and we've got relationships and teachers are establishing relationships and I have positive relationships with my staff, then we've got a positive culture. So it's a it's a in the sense that it's very broad, it's I think it's quite a solid vision in what it actually sets out to do. So everything we do, we promote that. That went out through the prospectus. It's been out to our community. The school board and the steering committee had a look at that too when we were setting up the school. Now we've got the school yep. board on. They're very happy with it. That's what we keep coming back to. And, you know, when you're talking about like the community, how have you been, I guess, intentional with communicating to your actual like parents and prospective parents? Yeah. Now, Rachel read a book recently. I can't remember what the book's called, but she talks about warm and demanding. Where we communicate, we use Seesaw as our, as our primary platform because it's a two-way thing and, and the system that we've got with, within our system, I find it a bit clunky. So we use Seesaw. Parents have got it on iPad. So we communicate them, they communicate with us. We put out announcements. But we're also very strategic in the way that we use Facebook around what we're doing. So Facebook is very much a positive thing. So anything that goes, you won't find... No, you won't find any neg- anything negative coming. It's all about celebrate this, the school's closed, we're opening, happy Diwali, this is what we're doing, this is our vision. And then Seesaw has that next level. And then, of course, we've got LinkedIn and we've got Twitter that we use. But when we communicate with parents, we're very firm in this is what Dayton stands for, all right? This, these are our values. These, This is the vision of the school. So you respect, commitment, enthusiasm, this is what we stand for. So everything we do must come back to this. And we, we, when we talk to the parents, we say, classic example, right? So parents might say, my child's sick, and then we find out they've been on a holiday for four weeks. All right? So that's fine, but you've got a year one comes into the room and tells news about the fact they're on a, on a cruise. Well, I'm not going to yeah. pull the kid up because the mum and dad have said they're sick. But we'll say, you, yeah. you can't do that. You, you, you're teaching the kid to lie. And there's no way a year one student doesn't want to come home and tell to come back to school and tell all the kids about their trip on the, the cruiser or to Bali or wherever they went. So we bring yeah. everything back to that to, to those to those values and that vision. So we we here's the rules. This is what we stay with. This is our behaviour structures, and even our behaviour is very different to um, what I used to do at West Beachborough. We've shifted significantly away from some of the things we did at West Beachborough Primary School, and we say to staff, "This is the line in the sand. You can't do this." this is what will happen as a consequence of that. But we will support your yeah. kid to get there. But at the end, and if the parent says, you know, my child's special, and yeah, I get that, but I'm not going to sacrifice 200 other kids for the sake of making this one child happy. We have to work within that space because at the end of the day, he's part of, he or she's part of our school culture. So we have to learn that, you know, we still got to work as a team. So there, there's a lot of communication with parents about what we stand for, our expectations, we do. We don't have assemblies every week. We only do assemblies week four and week eight, and they're award assemblies. We don't have the teachers getting out, spending weeks doing sing songs and things like that. So, again, there was some conversations with the community around that. It's like, well, if it's just about getting a certificate, we don't need to have an assembly for that. We do that in the classrooms. So I don't need to get the whole staff out there and have little. And then, oh yeah, but my kid needs to build up confidence. You know, talking in front of an audience. Let me assure you, Mr. Smith, that learning a song and singing in front of an audience once a year doesn't build up your kids' confidence. To, it just puts added pressure on the teacher and what they're trying to do and cover the curriculum because for four weeks they've been preparing this wretched song. 
Uh, there's conversations <laughs> around that. Obviously, a little bit softer than how I've just said it. <laughs> Lots of, and Rachel's really good in that space. Me and me and people or me and communities not great because again, OCD. Debt, 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 debt. Rachel goes, okay, we need to reframe this. So again, I surround myself with people who who strengthen my weaknesses, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so you're kind of starting to touch on it a bit now, but like, what are some other techniques that you've used to get on the front foot with setting the culture at Dayton and, you know, in particular looking at staff culture? Yeah. Well-being was the very first one we started with and I was very blunt with that in the sense that I said, well, no sense, I just said it. I said, well-being is a personal responsibility. So don't don't look to me to give you yoga sessions. It ain't going to happen. So you need you need to look after yourself and if there's a problem, if you're getting overloaded, then by all means, come and talk to us and let us know. And if we can, we'll work some structures in it. So that that was a that was probably a really good conversation because we did have some people not they weren't struggling in the sense that they just don't get it. But you're starting a new school in a new instructional framework that, in more than in fact, nearly all cases is foreign to them. You're establishing relationships with kids. We've got some teachers who come from other systems, so they're learning a new system. So you're already, yeah. you know, the, the water level's above your eyebrows. So it doesn't take yeah. much for leadership to throw a few more things in and suddenly you're drowning. So we were very aware or we were constantly going, okay, no, we can't do this at the moment. So we're probably a little bit behind where we wanted to be in some regards, but we're yeah. also very aware of the teachers. You can't drown. If we drown our teachers, we're going to lose our staff. So we, we use that that sort of gauge and that openness, come and tell us. Uh, we had a meeting with every staff member, Rachel and I, at the start of the year. What do you want? What do you need? And we asked the staff, we used this notion of hive. I used Seth Godden's book. I can't remember what it's called now. Song of Significance. And he talks about bees in a hive. And I used that notion to go, right, let's look at the school as a hive. Tell me what yeah. it is you bring to the hive and tell me what it is you want to get back from the hive. So at the end of the, and we're going to pull that apart more this year, but at the end, the, the meeting before school end, I said, right, do you still feel like you're able to give what you said you wanted to give? And more importantly, are you getting back from the school and our group what you hope to get back? And if obviously mm. the answer was yes, but if it's not, and again, this was that well-being and we spoke of it earlier, get out. If it's not, then you need to be honest and say, I need, I, I, I don't think I can contribute to the school or right now the school's not giving me what I actually need. And it's yeah. understanding too, Brendan, that teachers might be a great teacher, all right, and, and they're having a great job and they're giving to the school and they're getting from the school. And then it's, and they've, this is what they want to give and this is what they want to get. They go through, just like kids, some form of trauma. So for the time being, what school gives them is it might just be it's consistency. I know when I come to the school, this is what, so that's what I need from the school. What do you hope to get? I just want to get the support and the consistency. What are you going to give? I'll be here every day and you get 100%. Fine. So there's that, that well-being as well. But it comes back to, it's it, there's an onus on you as an individual to look after your own well-being. This is, these are our expectations. Anything above that, that's you putting it on. It's not us. That's you. Yeah. Yeah. So we did things like in reporting in, in SCARSA, it requires us to give an AB an AE grade in subjects and you only have to write one comment. So I said, like, all right, that's what we're doing, guys. You don't need to write. So I've got staff here going, oh, my God, we had to write 600 
words minimum in every mm. no no i just want a general comment because what yeah. what i tend to see is the kid's got an a in english and then the comment says he's an outstanding i know that already it says that why he's saying or they got an a and then you go they're struggling a bit with their well if they're struggling why have they got an a so <laughs> so it's like just write a general comment and it's two stars and a wish minimum and do great if they could do this and that the the stress levels came down straight away so we've reduced yeah. that yeah we've made assessment very clear and this is what this stands for this is what this stands for let us know what you're doing. We'll create a spreadsheet so you can put stuff in and it'll generate a, a supposed grade. So again, assisting teachers with that triangulation. So anything that we as a leadership team can do that's whole school, we'll take that on and get just to reduce that load. And that signals to staff that we're, we're actually supporting them in what they're trying to do. We're also in classrooms a lot, which seems to be, it's something I do anyway, but it seems to have that effect of the staff saying to us and it came through very strongly in our conversations we like the fact that you're in the room so you know what's actually happening you know the kids so when we talk to you about little johnny you know what little johnny's like so it's not like we have to mm. say little johnny and i look at you with a blank look oh, who's little johnny <laughs> so we spend a lot of time and we sell you know you use your celebrations but we have a lot of fun um we yeah. did a game of it and again it's not about doing games to make people. It's just like, you know, this would be fun. So we picked up a, a deputy, young Sarah Thomason, and she brought a game of assassins into the school. And that was phenomenal. That was just like it was, it's hide and seek on steroids. It was hilarious. <laughs> and the staff really got into it. I had We got a staff member who normally gets here at 6 o'clock. She's just one of those teachers. And this other staff member, she was her target. So she got here at 5.30 and hid in the staff room to capture her as she went past, because there weren't allowed to be any witnesses when you got tagged. She teed up with the, <laughs> she teed up with the cleaners. If you see Lucinda come on site, can you move away? Because no one's allowed to see it. Lucinda pulls into the car park, notices that Mel's car's there, and gone. Oh no, Mel's Mel's gonna get me. Mel must be the, my assassin. So she's tossing up whether she goes to the coffee shop for another hour and waits till more staff arrive. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> So that was a that was a great fun. And then we've got Yo Dayton, who's become our unofficial mascot. We hide him each week and give clues. And the teachers that want to play can. It's not compulsory. And then you just try and find Yo Dayton. If you find him, you get a choice of a bottle of wine, chocolates, coffee, or we'll take a duty for you. Guess which one most yeah. teachers get us to do? The duty. The duty. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's simple. It doesn't cost anything. It's just easy. And it's, it's a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah, but I think what what's really clear here is is how intentional you've been going about all of this, and and just having that understanding around the well being, and and I think knowing how as leaders sometimes we can just keep putting more and more on our staff uh, without actually taking anything away. Yeah. That you know that de implementation part of it, and yeah, it's yes, so important that you you do um, take that into yeah. account as well. Otherwise, yeah, you, you just end up with overloaded staff and and then all of a sudden um you know they'll they'll blow up at, at something which seems quite small but that's because you haven't been looking at all those kind of points to consider beforehand yeah and that's i mean peter dewitt does a lot of work around de-implement. i know it's not his work he's taken he's he's yeah. built on other people's work but peter's done a lot of recent stuff around de-implementation and exactly what you said we're putting more stuff on, but we don't. We never take anything away, and we don't ask ourselves when we bring stuff in: Does that actually align and support what's already happening in the school? 
And I know, I know yeah. in the US, him and Mike Nelson are doing a lot of stuff through collective leadership around that de-implementation, getting teams to try and understand the impact they're having on the well-being of their staff and the well-being of themselves. So it's, it's, yeah. it's not new, but there's, a, there's a, certainly a big movement around what you just said at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think sometimes as well, we, we just assume that teachers will stop doing something when we ask them to do something else. Yeah. But unless we're really clear and explicit with them, now you're gonna, we're going to do this program instead of that yeah. program. If you don't say that instead of, they end up trying to do both of them and you're like, yeah, that's never going to yeah. work. But because they're in that beginning phase of learning something new, they're still trying to hold on to that other part as well. And that's, I saw a classic example of that when I was at West Beachborough with a lovely teacher, Jill Kerr. I'd got, they used to bring out all these NAPLAN planners that came out and the teachers would work away the NAPLAN planner. And I, I said, this is what we're doing. And it wasn't, an, it's, I want you to do the daily review. But exactly what you said, I didn't say, stop doing the NAPLAN planner. So this lady's burning out and we're having a meeting. She's in tears and she's going, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean do both? Well, on that point, oh, no, 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 no. Stop doing that. So, yeah, that, that – and I hadn't even thought. I hadn't been clear. I hadn't literally said stop doing this and now doing – and we now need to do this. Like, I get it. There's no – I'm surprised you didn't break down before. You've done well to get this mm. far. It's really, yeah. really important. And it's But it's often overlooked because it's – you take it for you make that assumption and you just take it for granted and then you go oh sorry should have said it yeah exactly should have said it <laughs> so you, you mentioned before around how you've you've looked at uh, implementing like a handbook or a playbook you've also got some coaching happening as well so you, you know how how have you got this all working together so that you're supporting teachers in improving their practice yep. so we got the we got the playbook Dayton's playbook all right now the playbook's easy and this is I I think some schools and some leadership teams miss the next bit. The playbook's the easy bit. It's the installation book that's the hard part. All right. So, and again, something I'm discussing with Dr. Neil McNeil around this is if you look at NFL, and I, I know AFL have probably got it, have got it too, but if you look at, at Gridiron, they have a playbook. All right. This is the playbook. And then at practice, they work. This is how it's actually going to come into play. And this is when we're going to use it. So we've got our playbook. That's the easy bit. Right. So when we're looking at something as simple as um, daily reviews, so the daily review, this is what it looks like. How are we going to support staff, this is now the installation part of it, to get a genuine understanding of the pacing and the content of a daily review and how that works. So we now have to, mm. in our, and now let's bring in our coaching. So our coaching initially is, guys, when we come in to see you, we you video yourself while we're there. We're going to take notes, and it's on your daily review. And then you're going to review your daily review. You're going to sit with us, and we're going to have a conversation about it. And hopefully, and 99% of the time they do anyway, Brendan, the teacher identifies things that, are, yeah, okay, I agree with you. We'll support you with, with getting that a little bit sharper. So the coaching supports the strengthening of that particular skill that we're daily review. We can then go to... Tapple's another one. Let's look at Tapple. So I've got a young guy, Caleb Arblast. He won't mind me mentioning his name. He was my year six, five, six teacher. Caleb, here's your Tapple. What? This is what just for those oh, that oh, yeah. don't know, do you want to just go over what Tapple yeah, actually so is? Tapple's, Tapple comes out of DataWorks, Hollingsworth and Yabara stuff. So you teach first, then you ask a question. You pause, you pick a non-volunteer, you listen, and then you elaborate. So it's, it's basically effective teaching. Now, 
the the beauty of Chapel, and it, again, what tends to happen is teachers reverse the A and the T. So they ask a question first, and then they teach second. Caleb did that a couple of times. I said, mate, as soon as you ask that question, what you have done for the rest of the class is go, I don't know this. And Bob Smith puts his hand up and every kid now knows Bob is smarter than them. So if you teach first, so marathon running, this is the, the Olympic record is, the world record is this, 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 and then you say, what's the current world record? Every kid now has a chance of answering that question. So we teach first. We went through that with him. Great, you got your teach. You've asked the question. Now, three of your kids got that question wrong. You need to go back and you need to teach that again. All right? So you, you paused, you paired, shared, or whatever it was you did before they answered the question, obviously. And then you go back and teach that. What I noticed was once you asked the question, you've just, and you got the wrong answer, you've moved on. You haven't gone back to reteach that. Or you didn't then check for entire understanding. So I said to Brendan, what colours a pink lady? What colours an orange? And Brendan, Brendan went, it's orange. Instead of then going to class, everyone, what's a colours an orange? It's orange. All you know is Brendan knows that answer. So you didn't hmm. you didn't spread it out a little bit more in terms of let's let's see if everyone can get this. You haven't used your whiteboards. We're big on whiteboards for. You could have used the whiteboard then because that's a more complex question to really see how many kids actually got that, and it's not just Brendan. So we spent a lot of work with this young guy around Tapple, and his his teaching has gone through the roof in terms of, wow, he's a really good operator. And we got him to go and have a look at, what's his name? What's her name? Mel Batoni. Watch her and see what she does because she, she's brilliant at it. And it's it's just, it, it's just natural. Even with daily yeah. review, there's a, while there's not, you're not teaching first, they're still asking questions in there. They're still poor. So there's elements of Tapple within. There's probably more Apple within your daily review. But it's there's still, if you get those three, that those that word in there, Tapple, you can't go wrong with your teaching. Well, you can, but it's almost a formula for success, as you would know. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month, I would really appreciate it if you supported the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. While the podcast will always be available for free, your support will ensure the sustainability of it. By doing so, you will gain access to transcripts, my key takeaways from each episode, and more. So, if you can head to patreon.com slash knowledge for teachers podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. If you are a larger organization interested in sponsoring the podcast, please contact me at brendan at learnwithlee.net. Now, let's get back to the episode. And, and just kind of backtracking a little bit on, on the coaching process. So you mentioned uh, videoing yep. as well. So is that kind of like this is this is what's happening? Everyone's yes. going to get videoed when yeah throughout yep. this process. And did you have any kickback? No, that's from what that? ha- that's what that's what's happening. That's one of those things where I'm demanding. It's like no, there's no negotiation around this. You, you're getting a video. Yep. The video's in there, yep. but and the video is not. It's not so much for us. I mean, it's really handy because I'm taking notes and I can I can watch the video and go, yeah, okay, I've missed a few things. The video's for the teacher because. Yep. We as teachers never get to see what we look like when we're teaching. I mean, me as a leader, I've never seen me. I'm I'm in the act of being a principal, but I never actually get to see. There's no video of this is what I did for the day. And I go, oh, I could have improved on that. So the video is in there as a a keepsake. Now, what Rachel was very clever, and I didn't think of this. Again, this is why you surround yourself with good people. 
when she, we did the second or she did the second coaching with her group and I, I picked it up and did it with mine, she said, before you watch your second video, watch your first video. So now the teachers have got a comparative. This was me in March. This is yeah. me in November. Wow. Yeah. Because what you can you tend to do as the as the frog in the boiling water, you tend to miss miss your growth. You don't you're not stepping back and smelling the roses. So it was a really mm. good opportunity for teachers to go smell the roses. And look on that too, we had the staff were going, Oh, the kids haven't come far. So I asked every teacher to bring in a workbook into this into our um, professional learning one day around I think it was around September. And I said, yeah. Open your kids' workbook to the first day of their work. Now open mm. it to where they are now and the teachers particularly in the writing could see the growth i said that's what you've done mm. you don't see the small you don't see each page of work you just see this is the page we're at so that opportunity to reflect and go guys look at what you're doing and that the same with coaches yeah. so a, a coaching it's just happening we get yeah. the teachers to establish a goal within our framework our instructional framework so it might be tackle it might be daily review it might be just on teaching it might just be on the I do, we do, uh, you do part, all right? It might just be on the I do part. So that we can we can bring it right down. But the teacher the teacher directs that in terms of, look, this, this is what I want to focus on in this particular part, but it has to sit within our instructional framework. There will be times, yeah. I'm sure, and it hasn't happened yet, but it happened in a previous school where I said, no, we need to work on this because this is crucial and this is what I'm seeing. And that, yeah. that's a different yeah. conversation altogether. But this crew's not at that stage. This crew's at the stage where, okay, let's just, and again, ties back with that wellbeing, Brendan, let's focus on the bit that you feel is, is causing you grief because once you get that, then it becomes automatic and you can start focusing on something else. So we go through, yeah. we observe, we take notes, we have conversations, we set goals and we come back. This year we'll be more strategic. We'll do, we'll set Daily, we'll set daily reviews, we'll, we'll set coaching up minimum of every five weeks and then the staff review and then as soon as they've got an available time slot, we have an immediate de de debrief. It has to, though, allow, obviously allow them time to have a look at that video so it puts pressure on them. But that pressure was something that they've asked. We want, we want more, we want quicker feedback. All right, we can do that, but there's an onus on you to get that viewing done before we have that sit down. There's no point me yeah. and you having a conversation if you haven't watched the video. Hmm. Yeah, and look, like coming from a sporting background, and you, and you talk about videos, like it's just kind of it's almost like wanted. Yeah. You want that that video feedback to just kind of pick apart where you're going right and wrong. But for whatever reason, yeah, as teachers, you can you can come across a lot of teachers yep. who are quite reluctant to have themselves videoed, and it's funny, you know, like. We operate in a public domain, and we don't want to then watch ourselves in action. Yeah. When yeah, that's where you can pick up on so many things, and it'll just bring it to to your own awareness that, that you you wouldn't have seen yeah. when when you're in you know in the moment, and you're you're thinking about right. This is this is what I'm teaching now. This is what I'm about to teach. Uh, these are the kind of key look for's and and all of those different things taken up your working memory all of a sudden take your focus away from what's actually happening in front of you. And so having that ability to kind of go back and look at these videos and seeing what's actually happening, um, yeah, it can be a massive game changer. And, and like you, you also mentioned, it just takes a lot of that pressure off the actual, um, you know, the school leader or the coach who is involved in that conversation because all of a sudden they don't have to, 
you know, lead as much of it or, or point things out because it's, it's literally there. They can, you can just say like, you know, did you, you know, when this happened or when you've seen this, what are you thinking and, and, and pick apart that decision making. Yeah, more. it's, it's, I mean, Jim Knight's, that's where we, we got the work from Jim Knight, his earlier work, focus on video, video and teaching. I can't, it's a little, it's a blue book. And then from that, yeah. he developed impact, but it's, it's so powerful. You can see teachers moving around the room. Like there's, there's so much they can learn from watching themselves in that video. And you've touched on the sport bit. I've got videos of myself when I'm running from behind from sports science because my hip was dropping. Once I saw yeah. that, okay, now I know what to look for because I could start to focus on what that felt like too when that hip was dropping. So, yeah. And you can fix it. So teachers can do yeah. the, same, the same thing. It's, it's, really, it's a really powerful tool. Obviously, there's a high level of trust that needs to be built into that space as well. But again, in the Dayton scenario, teachers knew, we, we said at our staff information sessions, if you do not want to be coached, if you do not want to be videoed, if you do not want leadership teams coming into your classroom, do not apply for this school. It was that simple. Yeah. So everyone yeah. knew straight off. But as you know, again, from sport, coaching's a two-way thing. I, that's and that's why we sort of want teachers to identify their strength because we they have to be prepared to work with it. Coaching's not something that's done to you; it's done with you. There's yeah. a there's a level of two-ness in terms of we need to focus on this, but it, it's a it's a cooperation, it's a collaboration. I'm trying to get the staff better. The staff want to get better because at the end of the day, we both want to we want the kids' levels to improve, but even not improve, we just want to ensure they're getting the best quality education that they can. Yeah. Are you, at the same time as the one-on-one coaching stuff, are you also doing like small group and whole school professional learning as well? Or is it is it predominantly just a, um, you know, pick your goal and, and that's what no, you want to work on? No, we do all of, all of what you just said. We don't have staff meetings. Our staff meetings are actually professional learning. We use Teams as our staff meetings. Um, obviously, the closest thing we've had to a staff meeting was when we pulled all the staff together and... Uh, and Jordan Hickett, my phys ed, said, this is what's happening on the sports carnival. This is how it'll go. So it was a, more of a management organisational thing. But all our staff meetings are professional learning. So we will, if the focus is on daily review, guess what our professional learning is about daily review? And look, the staff really played into that because we said, guys, there's a lot of, there's a big call for, for daily reviews. If you're happy, video yourself doing a daily review or provide your daily review and then each of you needs to present it to the staff and we'll talk about every staff member did it. The staff, the, the PL went for, for two hours. So we had to cut it short. So there's 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 already that rich conversation that's happening, I think, because of the, the structures that are in place in the school. And then, then the comment was, can we do the same thing for maths? Yeah, sure. So, all right, let's run through that. The hard bit for us, and this is why this is such a great team at the moment, is we had to stop saying, this is optional. So in our system, we can have five meetings a, a term. So we, okay. we fill those. Look, we've got another one on. We were running, a, what's, what were we running? The writing revolution. We were running a voluntary writing revolution, professional reading, and we were working through a chapter at a time. Everyone came to it. It's like, okay. And then we did another one. Everyone's coming to us. I said to Rach, we need to shut down. Staff are drowning, but they're still coming to this professional learning on on um, writing revolution, we need to shut this down because they keep volunteering and they're not pulling back. So we actually shut it down to, to relieve the pressure because they weren't taking any pressure off themselves. Comes yeah. back to that, yeah. we're not taking anything off, but they didn't want to miss out. 
<laughs> so again, we have to be really strategic and all right, let's let's put a voluntary thing out, but can we just test the waters to see if people are holding their breaths at the moment or they've actually got their heads above the water. So there's a lot of additional voluntary stuff in there. We did an ICT one on digital technologies that everyone came to. There was one young Cooper ran around because relationships are very strong. That's a big emphasis. When the, the kids, when we first opened our gates, I said to every staff member, all I want you to do today is make sure every kid leaves the school happy. That's the goal. I don't care if they don't learn anything, as long as they leave happy. And we tick that box. Cooper did some work around sociograms, which he'd done, he'd done some work with Luke George around relationships. And he got up and did this presentation. Here's where you can use this. And he, the kids plot their, and you can see the outlets in his class where they don't have any friends. There's not, and he only he only got the kids to list four friends, so if you extend it, there might have been some connections. But now he, as a teacher in his classroom, can work on, all right, how can I help Bob make some connections to these other kids? So we got, and his comparative data with his sociogram showed that he'd been successful. So teachers sat in on that and, and most of them did it. It's like, what a great tool. We can actually, we can actually not so much assess but we can have a look at how the relationships are going on within our, within our classroom. And as a leader, I could potentially do that across the whole school and speak to these kids and set up a, and see if there are any outlets in the school. It was, a really, and it was a really powerful, simple professional learning, but really powerful. Mm. Sounds great. And, and, you know, you've got another teacher kind of putting his hand up to, to take a bit of ownership of, of the project yeah. as well. And, and Mel Batoni, I know you're familiar with Steph. Steph from Serpentine, they're, they're big on, on LinkedIn with their stuff. Mel Batoni's all over Steph's stuff. So she's actually leading, developing our reading units and at a sentence level, knowledge units. And we're doing some work around social studies and things to try and build. So the reading units linked to the social studies units. So the kids develop that background knowledge that you and I were talking about earlier. So she's a bit of a leader in yeah. that. So it's it's really everything that's happening in the school is all is all linked. There's nothing that's operating by itself at the moment, which is great. Yeah, that's amazing. So here in Australia, we're about to start a new school Ooh. year for <laughs> on, for for people who are either you know starting at a new school or in a new role or even just the fact that it is a new year. What are some things that school leaders could be doing to ensure that they start off you know on the front foot? Yep. My, look, again, the world according to Boyd. And I, do, I think it's something that's not done generally well. And I'm going to take this as a pat on the back. One of the staff members said to us, what I like about here is we keep revisiting things. It's not like done and then we move on. So at the start of the year, and it's something we've always done, I did it at West Beachboro, they got a bit slack towards the end, but it's go and revisit what your vision is, revisit what your priorities are in the school are and remind staff these are our focus areas and these are the supports that are in place. It's just important to keep everyone working together and it's it's about coming back to that why. This is what we're doing. So again, the more I read, the, the more I learn. You look at Hattie stuff, you look at DeWitt, you look at Cynic stuff, Atomic, Hab Atomic Habits. This is Atomic Habits. Let's come back yeah. to it. Let's revise it. So it's about revising the, the things that you've got in place looking at your structures and in all honesty for me at the moment as a leader and something that Rachel and I and Sarah will be doing is we're going to make sure that our teachers have a really smooth start to the year I mean we're in we have to be in three four days uh, three days three days before they hit the deck or two days before they hit the deck 
So we're going to make sure when they come in, everything's ready for them so they can just pick up and, and go to battle essentially. But we will revisit, we will revisit Tapple. We will revisit daily reviews and remind stuff. This is what our focuses are. So it's going back to looking at your vision as a school, looking at your operational plan, looking at your professional learning structures that you've got in place, looking at your playbook and coming back to what you were talking about when we spoke about Brennan, seeing the stuff that, that you may need to de-implement or get out of the way because it's not aligned with what you're actually trying to do. Hmm. And so you've been in a school leadership position for you know 20, 20 years or so and I, Personally, I look at uh, a principal role as, as being, you know, one of the, the hardest jobs out there um, anyone could take up and the amount of time and energy and thinking space um, that it absorbs. How have you managed to look after yourself at the same time? The running. I run every day. It's something I've actually I posted on LinkedIn not that long ago about focus and running every day. It's something I do every day. It's a chance to debrief. It's a chance to clear my head. So that, that's that side of it. I like, when I'm at home too, I like to work in the yard. We're on five acres, so I do a lot of physical activity in that space, which sort of gets me away from my head space. During the school terms, I can't read novels. Uh, I'm reading leadership books. During the holiday breaks, yeah. I, try and, I try and pick up your nonfiction books. And that seems to be something that's actually common across. If you if you watch LinkedIn, everyone's popping up. These are the novels that I'm reading and chewing through them. So the running's a big one for me. Sleep, but I also do. A, I have a lot of deep, I do a lot of debriefs with my associate principal Rachel and I. will have a conversation at the end of each day, so it's a chance to unload. And that main thing. And I check in. I check in on my team. That that's a way of looking after myself because. By default, they then tend to check in on me. How you going? Yeah, look, no, it's a bit tough today, but that's all right. That, that's part of the role. I can deal with that. But physical activity is a big one, big one for me, and actually turning off and just doing something that's got nothing to do with education. The trouble is, Brent, I actually really love what I do. I, I tend to get immersed. I mean, I'm, I surround myself with books, and leadership books can be a little bit milk arrowroot biscuit when it comes to reading them. But, the, you know, there's some gems in there. So I just, I love it. And I love the activity. I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, not so much Twitter now. I'm finding that's getting a little, I, don't, I can't get used to X, mate. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn seeing what people are putting up and reading because there's a lot of, I don't know about you, but there seems to be a lot more conversations about education and what's happening in the classroom. And I like listening to those conversations because it forces me to yeah. think. But that basically just checking in on myself, really, and making sure I have, I have time alone. That's the point. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and you, so you mentioned that you you run every day. How how far do you run every I day? I set a goal of a minimum of two kilometers. All right, yeah, Elliot, yeah. if one mile is good enough for him, two k is good enough for me. So the minimum is <laughs> yeah. two kilometers. So I just go out and I'll, I'll do it. It'd be in the dark. I run at eleven o'clock at night sometimes, but it just it works in two ways. One is it is that is that debrief and as of New Year, I've I've managed to do a five year stint without missing a day. So what that teaches me is if I can if I can do something as simple as run every day, when it comes to punching through something that's a pain in the backside in, in my school or because I've got to deal with the bureaucracy, I know I'm going to stick to it because it's like it's going to be it maybe two or three days at worst I can hang in there, but I know I can hang in there because I've done it. I've, I've run for five years. It's like, seriously, that's hard. This, this will be a walk in the park. So it helps me focus. It teaches me to, to a bit of resilience and a high level of grit and the importance that plays. Mm. And, and being a principal, like being a teacher, there's a lot of grit and resilience. 
yeah, we speak a lot about resilience and bouncing back, but at the end of the day, a lot of it's grit. When you when you bring about, if you're in a school that's bringing about change and improvement, that's a that's not resilience. That's grit. Mm. Dayton Primary School, where we're establishing it, there's no resilience about this. This is just grit. We got to get through this. And there were things in the build that like, oh my God, seriously, give me a gun. This is just so hard, but we hang in there. And it's it's yeah. also about making sure you've got someone someone behind you or someone walking alongside you. That 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 two I see or that that collaboration in leadership is really important. If you, I think if you look at any good leader across any domain, there's there's always someone standing in the shadows, um, and it's really important because you can support each other. Yeah. Yeah, I like that focus you just made then on on grit because, like you mentioned, you know when you are kind of pushing against the tide a bit, you are going to have to fight a lot of pushback, yeah. whether it's from you know people above you, whether it's from the community, whether it's from internally. It, it can be quite difficult to manage, and and that that's what can take up a lot of your capacity as a principal as well is actually dealing with with those sorts of issues. And so yeah, I like how you you really are focused on yeah. that that word. It's, grit. it's that dripping water. You, you know, the, the metaphor, you, the drip water sort of wears away the rock over time. And and that's the thing I was reading. I, I got, I'm actually in the process of checking the validity of this. But there was some research yeah. done where they put mice or rats in a, in a bucket and basically were going to drown. And then just before yeah. they went under, they pulled these rats out. And it, it's about hope. And what they, then they, the rats, they put the rats in again the next time, did it again. Those rats that had been saved held on significantly longer. In fact, the one I was reading said they just kept hanging in there because they believed that someone was going to rescue them. And and that's sort of, that's like high-level grit. You just hang in there because at some point it's going to get better. You, you just don't know when it's going to get better, but it will get better. I mean, as <laughs> bad as it's going to get, at some point it's going to get better. Yeah, yeah, love it. Just finishing off our conversation and I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. What other bits of knowledge or resources would you recommend for teachers and school leaders? For, for teachers, I would encourage to read. Despite what I said, it's really hard to do the reading stuff. But for a teacher at a very basic level, and I don't mean basic as insulting, I mean as a starting point, grab cognitive load theory. Because if once you understand that, it helps you go, you know what, I know why I have to break this down. I get it. It, it makes so much sense because you can all, you can internalise that. Yeah, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll break stuff down for myself. I know I'm looking at it at the moment, uh, Ollie Lovell's book, which is a simple one, yeah. and it brings in cognitive. It's all, all the stuff around Sweller and a lot of Bennett's stuff in there, Tom Bennett's stuff. That That's an easy read. Yeah, Ollie Lovell, Greg Ashman, yeah. they've both written books on it. And then also New South Wales CC, which is for free. They've, they've yep. got a, a document which you can access yeah. as well. Actually, yeah, I've just I, seen I, that I stuff. That's a, that's a really good document. We pinched some of it and, and pulled it in to share with staff. So that anything like that for teachers is great. For leaders, it's just keep reading. Read, read, read. Make sure and up-to-date reading. All right? So w- when you say – when you, you need to be able to stand up in front of staff and go, this is research-backed, and then – list the Mm. research and the application of it sometimes i get frustrated when when they say it's a research back yeah it might be done by researchers but where's it been put in the practice well it hasn't well i need to i need to see it in practice before i it it looks great it sounds great but i need to see it had done in practice before we even consider bringing that in so reading Mm. but 
readers, reading for school leaders, getting realigning yourself, and again coming back to that idea of making sure you've got someone who's walking alongside you. You can't do it by yourself; you'll drown. Awesome, podcasts thank you for like yours, of course. <laughs> podcast, you listen to them in the car. That's yeah. like it kills time. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Right. Thank you for your time today. Really enjoyed our conversation, and and I think you know your tips are going to help a lot of school leaders out there in terms of you know just managing their role, and and. I think some of the things that you spoke about which really stood out to me were you mentioned grit just then but also just around the understanding with where staff are at yeah. and you know kind of pitching your messages based on where they're at and ensuring that they're going to hit the mark and not overloading them at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of great things from our conversation and yeah, thanks again. No, look, it's a pleasure. I mean, what you just said then makes me think of it, leadership and your staff's a bit like a roller coaster. You've got to know when they're pulling uphill and you've got to know when they're flying and that's you'd sort of use that as a gauge but it's really hard to do but i appreciate it i'm sure we're going to bump into each other at some stage around australia at some point so and keep up the good work with this mate i enjoy listening thanks ray take care i love engaging with school leaders like ray boyd he's able to offer a lot of clarity and insight around his decision making because he's confident in the evidence base behind it these are my key takeaways Leadership in education often involves a natural progression from teaching to school leadership positions, but it's not for everyone. Implementing a pedagogic shift requires clear communication, support and alignment in vision. Mistakes are valuable learning opportunities that can inform future decision making and improve leadership practices. Starting a new school presents unique challenges and opportunities, including the need to strategically build a cohesive team and communicate a clear vision and mission. Accessing research and resources is crucial for school leaders to stay informed and make evidence-based decisions. I found his phrase, cultural terrorist, as a really accurate description of the type of people who can wreck an organisation. Continuous learning and support are essential for school leaders to stay up to date and effectively lead their staff. Ray was another person who emphasised the importance of daily reviews or warm-ups to improve learning. Understanding staff and adapting communication strategies based on their needs and capabilities is key to effective leadership. Ray gave some great examples of how he has used the things he has read and implemented them as a leader, such as asking what it is you bring to the hive and tell me what it is you want to get back from the hive. Next episode is another one to look out for as I speak with James Dobson for almost two hours on everything to do with teaching students in their first year of school. When it comes to teacher knowledge, James ticks the boxes for pedagogical knowledge with his direct instruction background, pedagogical content knowledge through his multiple years of experience teaching students in their initial year of school, and content knowledge by implementing a knowledge-rich curriculum. I'm glad that I recorded it during the school holidays because I'm not sure how he would have gone if we had done it mid-term one. So please continue to subscribe, share, and support the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. However, that's it from me for today, and as always, stay curious, keep learning, and teach with purpose. Bye for now.